Ladies and gentlemen, good morning, and welcome to the Big Lots fourth quarter 2020 conference call. At this time, all participants are in your listen-only mode. If anyone should require operator assistance, please press star zero on your telephone keypad. A question and answer session will follow the formal presentation. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded. On the call today are Bruce Thorne, President and CEO, and Jonathan Ramsden, Executive Vice President, Chief Financial and Administrative Officer. Before starting today's call, the company would like to remind you that any forward-looking statements made on the call involve risks and uncertainties and are subject to the company's safe harbor provisions as stated in the company's press release and SEC filings, and that actual results can differ materially from those described in forward-looking statements. The company would like to also point out where applicable, Commentary today is focused on adjusted non-GAAP results. Reconciliations of GAAP to non-GAAP adjusted results are available in today's press release. I will now turn the call over to Bruce Thorne, President and CEO of Big Lots. Mr. Thorne, please go ahead. Thank you and good morning, everyone. 2020 was a remarkable year for Big Lots, and I am proud of our strong finish, which is reflected in the results we reported this morning. Comparable sales for the fourth quarter increased 7.9%, and our diluted earnings per share were were $2.59. This resulted in our strongest ever sales and earnings for a fiscal year, with a comp of 16.1% and $7.35 per share in adjusted earnings. Along with these results, I've been amazed by the evolution of our entire organization, which has been strongly aligned around our Operation North Star goals while working extremely hard to navigate what has been a very difficult external environment. For that, I want to say a big thank you to all of our associates across our stores, distribution centers, and corporate headquarters. Our accomplishments in 2020, which I will talk more about in a moment, were truly a team effort. As we enter 2021, there are reasons to be hopeful that the global pandemic that has upended so many things will recede and that we will be on a path to greater stability as the year progresses. However, we will not take our eye off the ball with regard to making our stores and workplaces as safe as possible, and we will continue to work with clear and rigorous safety standards, social distancing, and cleaning protocols in all of our stores and workplaces. During the course of 2020, we incurred more than $50 million in COVID-related expenses, including health and safety measures as well as incremental pay and bonuses to stores and distribution center associates. We expect to incur further expense in 2021, albeit at a lower level. In addition, we are encouraging, supporting, and facilitating our associates to get vaccinated as soon as they have the opportunity. Coming back to the fourth quarter, we saw two distinct levels of performance, strong performance in November and in January, when we had more appropriate inventory levels and what I would refer to as a solid performance in December, where we continue to see underlying strength in our business, but we're too sold through on our Christmas seasonal assortment to maintain the double-digit comps that mark the balance of the year. Traffic was also clearly softer in December, driven by COVID-19-related stay-at-home orders and different consumer shopping patterns caused by the pandemic. However, our core business continued to perform well, and following Christmas, for the balance of the quarter, comp growth returned to double-digit levels, benefiting from broad-based category strength and new stimulus payments that began to flow in early January. 
As our inventory levels were sold through, we were able to navigate through the holiday period with fewer promotions than last year. This reduction in markdowns significantly mitigated the pressures felt from increased spot freight rates and higher supply chain charges we incurred. Across all categories other than food and seasonal, we saw double-digit comps for the quarter as a whole. Furniture sales increased 15% versus last year with strong growth in upholstery, ready-to-assemble, and mattresses. The home office trend continued throughout Q4, doubling year-over-year. Upholstery delivered a 20% increase and mattresses grew 11%. The Broyhill brand had a strong impact on furniture, representing 17% of total furniture sales in the quarter. Upholstery was particularly strong for Broyhill, driving 30% of total upholstery sales. Soft Home had a double-digit comp increase led by strong trends within the window, home organization, and basic bedding categories. Window continued strong performance for the year and was up over 35% for the quarter with curtains up over 40% driven by incremental Broyhill and national brand offerings. Home organization saw 25% growth driven by plastic storage and closet organization. Basic bedding was driven by strong performance in throws, pillows, and mattress toppers, all delivering 20% comp or greater. Broyhill bedding, bath, window, and decor also delivered strong results, delivering 20% of division sales in the quarter. Our seasonal business started the quarter off with strong double-digit comps. However, given a reduced buy of Christmas merchandise and the strong early sell-through, we saw a lack of inventory to drive sales during the key selling weeks leading up to Christmas, resulting in a sales decline versus last year for the quarter of 12%. This negatively impacted the sales growth, but we saw a quick rebound in our spring, summer, and patio businesses in late January and early February. Apparel continued to grow in sales penetration with nearly a 50% comp fueled by recognizable branded closeouts and key value items throughout the season. We saw strong sell-through in graphic tees, fashion tops, cold-weather fleece, and sports apparel. As our customer is responding strongly to our well-curated assortment, we will continue to lean into apparel, a category that is margin-accretive and highly productive. We are targeting another year of strong double-digit apparel growth in 2021. Hard home comps were up nearly 20% to last year, with all departments delivering double-digit increases. Key areas such as kitchen, appliances, cookware, dinnerware, and drinkware delivered over 30% comps, in part due to the cook and dine at home trend. With this trend, we saw excellent performance from our Keurig pods and Keurig brewers, and momentum has clearly continued into 2021. We launched pantry optimization in third quarter of 2020. As a reminder, this involved repositioning footage from food staples to food entertainment as well as expanded space for consumables, including cleaning products and health and beauty, combining competitively priced national brands with an expanding assortment of closeouts. This creates a significant value differentiation from the competition. With the increased intensity of the pandemic during the colder winter months, this strategy outperformed our expectations. Customers were surprised and delighted to find more items on their shopping list at tremendous value. These categories drove repeat traffic and conversion, lifting total sales productivity for food and consumables while driving margin dollar expansion. Consumables had 15% sales growth. 
With key changes in laundry, household chemicals, and health and beauty, these departments grew at 23% and 19% respectively. Food was up 1% in the quarter, a very good result considering we reduced and redistributed space in September. Our holiday gift sets helped drive a 6% comp increase in the candy gift area. We also saw a nice 6% increase across our beverage, baking, and coffee departments, thanks to the new assortments implemented during the pantry optimization initiative. Across all categories, closeout sales in the fourth quarter were up 50% over the same quarter in 2019. Closeouts are an important part of our heritage and a significant reason why she shops us. In the quarter, she was able to find closeouts, including brands such as Reeboks, Black & Decker, Nautica, Scott Brothers Bedding, Ann Taylor, and Sealy. Given our expanding range of closeouts and strong heritage, we see continued growth here as a clear opportunity, especially as we strengthen our buying relationships and take advantage of space made available through our Q-Line project are identified through space planning and optimization in store. Our active rewards membership reached an all-time high in Q4 with positive 9.5% growth year over year. Rewards customers spent 21% more than last year in Q4 and 11% more per customer. Big Heroes continued in Q4 with our now always on 10% discount for military and veterans. 25% of participants were new big rewards members. We also successfully ran a targeted campaign to reactivate lapsed customers and at risk of lapsing shoppers. Enrollment was another great growth story, up 38% to Q4 2019. We enrolled 9 million customers to big rewards for the full year, our biggest enrollment year ever. With all of these strong drivers, rewards attached sales exceeded 70% of our total sales for the quarter representing more than 700 basis points in penetration expansion to last year. Rewards has been on an incredible trend, up around 10% per year for each of the past three years. Throughout the quarter, we saw significant benefits from our Operation North Star strategies. These include our expanded e-commerce capabilities, Broyhill, The Lot, and our front-end queue-line initiative. All of these initiatives have been successful and positioned us well to drive further gains in 2021, as we also accelerate additional closeout investments and depth in our apparel assortment. Our e-commerce business was a huge success story throughout 2020, with the pandemic increasing customer expectations to be able to shop how, when, and where they want. To that end, we have focused heavily on removing purchase friction and creating better customer experiences. During 2020, we introduced curbside pickup, same-day delivery in partnership with Instacart and same-day delivery with BigLots.com with pickup, allowing customers to order any item available at their local Big Lots store. Our Instacart and pickup delivery services continue to accelerate during the fourth quarter, making a significant contribution to our overall e-commerce driven growth. As we detailed in our third quarter call, we now have shipped from store capabilities in 47 stores strategically identified to ensure two-day delivery to 90% of our customers across the country. Last, over the past year, we have expanded payment type choices available on-site to now include gift cards, the Big Lots credit card, and lease online pickup and store, each of which have driven incremental volume. As you know, all of these achievements resulted in us being ranked number one 
in Total Retail's top omnichannel retailers report. In total, e-com and omnichannel sales grew over 130% versus Q4 last year, contributing close to 300 basis points to the overall company comp. KPIs were strong across the business, with site traffic up close to 40% and conversion more than doubling. Even with our increased demand, we were able to offer improved delivery times through two-day shipping, same-day delivery, and curbside pickup, all new compared to holiday 2019. While we are pleased with e-com success in 2020, we still have a long way to go on our omni-channel journey, and this will be a key area for our future investment, as I will detail in a moment. We believe there is a tremendous runway as we reach new customers and drive incremental growth beyond 2020's performance. Our Borough Hill lines, which launched in the spring, far outperformed our expectations in 2020. The line expanded beyond core home furniture to include area rugs, bed sheets, and decorative pillows. The customer reaction to the entire offering of this iconic brand remains very favorable, and we remain extremely excited about our 2021 extension of Broyhill into housewares and kitchen textiles. Broyhill generated over 400 million in first year sales, and we firmly believe it is on track to being a billion dollar brand. Broyhill customers spend twice as much as non-Broyhill customers and 10 times as much as non-furniture customers. This dynamic is driven both by basket size and visit frequency. One third of Broyhill customers are new to Big Lots and 50% of Broyhill customers have already returned to make a second purchase either in stores or through BigLots.com. Likewise, the lot and the queue line strategies were very successful in 2020. We rolled these strategies out to 750 stores, which performed well upon launch and accelerated in the fourth quarter, driving close to three incremental comp points across these stores. Based on this success, we are now increasing our anticipated lot and queue line conversions to 550 additional stores in 2021, most rolling out in spring, meaning that by mid-year, over 90% of our stores will feature the lot and queue line footprint features and assortments. Another key aspect of Operation North Star has been a keen focus on our expense architecture. Through our Fund the Journey initiative, I am proud to announce that we have secured $130 million of SG&A reductions to date, including savings baked into our 2021 operating plan. Additionally, through partnerships with our vendor base and through more thoughtful in-store markdown activities, we've expanded margin by approximately $30 million. Our efforts to drive more savings will continue in 2021 and beyond. As we turn to 2021, a key focus will be to make investments in our supply chain to increase throughput, improve efficiencies, and support omni-channel demand. Late this summer, we will open two third-party operated forward distribution centers, one in the Northeast and one in the Southeast, to help process bulk items, primarily our furniture offerings and palletized goods such as bottled water. In addition, we will invest in centralized repacking capabilities at our DC and Columbus that will allow for more efficient and cost-effective picking on a per store basis of less than a full case of items, even as our store count and demand grow. These capabilities will help make our other regional distribution centers more efficient as they can focus on case picking. These investments will enable us to get merchandise to our stores more quickly, efficiently, and responsibly 
improving our in-stocks in many items. In addition, forward distribution centers will provide a scalable platform to support our future growth, and we expect to stand up additional FDC locations beyond 2021. Another 2021 prioritization is to enhance the customer experience in our stores, particularly those stores that did not go through a full remodel under our Store of the Future program. Starting in 2021 and extending over the next few years, we will invest in a store refresh program encompassing new exterior signage, internal repainting, and updated floors and bathrooms. This program will be much less expensive on a per store basis than our prior Store of the Future program that will deliver a more consistent brand experience across our stores. We'll work in 2021 to further strengthen our e-commerce capabilities and customer data insights. We will invest to improve user experience, omni-channel capabilities for ship to store, and personalization capabilities through expanded use of customer data platforms, online customer panels, and more advanced segmentation. We are excited by new merchandising initiatives in 2021. These include the strengthening of our value driving assortment with closeouts across our merchandise categories, the aforementioned apparel expansion, additional Broyhill growth into adjacent departments, expanding our pet offerings given the acceleration of pet adoptions during 2020 and the trend of the humanization of pet and the productivity of pet products. Also, our big buy initiative that will increase our value price impressions throughout the main aisles and featured end cap presentations. Finally, seasonal is a key area of opportunity for us as we know we left sales on the table with depleted inventory levels in 2020. We continue to enhance our value-focused proposition. Our newly launched Wonderland program offers a selection of products priced at $1 to drive conversion and excitement. Additionally, we are transforming how we work. As an example, in 2021, we will launch data-driven space planning capabilities for the first time in the company's history. Focusing on space productivity, we will have better analytical tools to impact future buy cycles, optimize floor plans per store, further optimize allocation and replenishment, and improve store compliance for planogram execution. We expect that these capabilities will greatly enhance our productivity, store by store and category by category, with a focus on shelf availability of relevant products. Most importantly, it will create a more relevant customer assortment to increase sales and increase customer satisfaction, fueling return visits. We are excited to be adding this tool to our merchandise program as we transform the way we work. As a result of all these initiatives, we are entering 2021 with momentum and excitement about the opportunities ahead of us this year. While unusually cold and snowy winter weather impacted traffic trends mid-February, the year is off to a strong start. Comps will moderate in March as we lap the stock up period during the first phase of the pandemic last year, and again from mid-April when we are up against the first stimulus-driven sales period. However, we expect to end with positive comps for the quarter and growth in EPS on top of a strong growth quarter last year. Overall, while comparatives will be challenging throughout this year, and especially in Q2 and Q3, we expect to continue driving significant improvements in our underlying performance and shareholder value creation. Over the past year, we have clearly benefited from government stimulus and from the nesting trend that resulted from the pandemic. However, we are very confident that our performance is also being driven significantly by our Operation North Star strategies and that week by week, we are becoming a stronger company. 
I'll now turn the call over to Jonathan for more insight on our financial results for the quarter and our outlook for 2021. Thanks, Bruce, and good morning, everyone. I would like to add my heartfelt thanks to the entire Big Lots team for their amazing efforts and commitment over the past year. And the team is pulling together as we enter 2021 to continue the great progress we made in 2020. Net sales for the fourth quarter were 1.738 billion, an 8% increase compared to 1.607 billion a year ago. The growth was driven by a record fourth quarter comparable sales increase of 7.9%. Comps were driven by strong growth in basket across both channels. Transactions were down slightly, driven by store traffic, which was impacted by stay-at-home orders, particularly on the West Coast, as well as the generally softer traffic we have seen on peak shopping days during the pandemic. As Bruce mentioned, in terms of cadence through the quarter, the underlying trend by month was strongest in November and January, with relative softness in December, given slower traffic and lower levels of seasonal inventory. Our strong fourth quarter comp comps drove us to record annual sales of 6.2 billion, an increase of 876 million from 2019. Net income for the fourth quarter was 98 million, compared to 93.8 million in Q4 of 2019. Diluted EPS for the quarter was $2.59, nine cents above the high end of our guidance range provided in early January. As a reminder, we reported EPS of $2.39 last year. For the full year, we achieved adjusted diluted earnings per share of $7.35, more than twice what we reported for 2019, and resulting in record earnings on both a GAAP and adjusted non-GAAP basis. The gross margin rate for Q4 was 39.4%, down slightly from last year's fourth quarter rate, with freight headwinds offsetting a significant reduction in markdowns. Our gross margin rate was essentially in line with expectations at the beginning of the quarter, although the freight impact and markdown benefit were both somewhat greater than expected. Total expense dollars for the quarter, including depreciation, were $554 million, up from $508 million last year, again essentially in line with beginning of quarter expectations. Drivers of the increase were $12 million of additional expense from sale and leaseback of our distribution centers, $11 million of additional store and corporate bonus expense, $6.5 million of higher non-cash equity comp expense, ongoing COVID-related cleaning costs and supplies of approximately $5 million, and some expense flex on higher sales. Interest expense for the quarter was $2.6 million, down from $3.2 million in Q4 last year, primarily as a result of paying off the balance on our unsecured line of credit earlier in 2020, partially offset by notional interest associated with the gain deferral on our sale leaseback transactions. The income tax rate in the fourth quarter was 24.6%, compared to last year's adjusted rate of 23.2% both impacted by the resolution of discrete items. The impact of favorable discrete items was similar in value in 2020 compared to 2019, but the impact on the tax rate was less significant due to much higher pre-tax income. Prior to discrete items, this year's income tax rate was 25.9% compared to last year's adjusted rate of 26%. Moving on to the balance sheet, inventory on hand was down mid-single digits but total inventory was up 2.1% to 940.3 million, driven by higher in transit inventory as we work to have products shipped prior to the Lunar New Year, drive replenishment after strong fourth quarter sell-throughs, 
and to match underlying stronger business trends versus the close of 2019. During Q4, we had no new store openings and closed three stores, leaving us with 1,408 stores and total selling square footage of 32 million. For the full year, we opened 24 stores and closed 20. Our new store openings were impacted by decisions we made at the beginning of the pandemic to defer some openings into 2021, but we were pleased to still achieve net store count growth. This was aided by our new store performance intervention program, along with successful lease renewal negotiations, which reduced the number of store closures. We expect to accelerate net store count growth in 2021 and more significantly beyond, and continue to believe that unit growth can be a major driver of our performance. Capital expenditures for the quarter were 32 million compared to 33 million last year. Full year CapEx was 135 million versus 265 million last year, with a reduction driven by our evolution away from store of the future, as well as fewer new store openings and lapping investments in our new California distribution center. Depreciation expense in Q4 was 33.6 million, approximately 3.8 million lower than the same period last year. We ended the fourth quarter with 560 million of cash and cash equivalents and 36 million of long-term debt. This represents a 750 million year-over-year increase in our net cash position, driven both by tremendous free cash flow and the net proceeds from the sale and leaseback of our distribution centers completed in June. As a reminder, at the end of 2019, we had 53 million of cash and cash equivalents and 279 million of long-term debt. We repurchased 1.6 million shares during the quarter for $73 million at an average cost per share of $46.38 under our previously announced $500 million share repurchase authorization with $327 million remaining as of the end of the quarter. Share repurchases remain an important part of our capital allocation strategy going forward, in particular given our significant excess liquidity. In total, we returned $219 million to shareholders during 2020. As announced in a separate release, our board of directors declared a quarterly cash dividend for the first quarter of 2021 of 30 cents per common share. This dividend is payable on April 2nd, 2021 to shareholders of record on the close of business on March 19, 2021. Turning to 2021, based on currently available information, for the first quarter, the company expects to achieve diluted earnings per share in the range of $1.30 to $1.45, compared to $1.26 per diluted share in 2020. This guidance is based on a low single-digit comparable sales increase and a total sales increase approximately 80 basis points higher than the lift in comparable sales. This guidance considers our strong start to 2021, but anticipates comp pressure as we lap strong stock up comps from the first phase of the pandemic in March of last year, and particularly from mid-April, when government stimulus significantly accelerated sales in 2020. The guidance does not incorporate any share repurchases we may complete in the first quarter. We expect gross margin rate for the first quarter to be flat to slightly up to last year, as a year-over-year markdown benefit early in the quarter is largely offset by continued higher freight costs and the mixed impact of pantry optimization, which launched in Q3 of last year. 
From an SG&A perspective, at our projected sales levels, we expect some deleverage in the quarter. However, excluding approximately $12 million of expense impact from the sale and leaseback in June 2020, expenses would lever slightly. With regard to the full year, we expect that our financial performance will be significantly affected by the ongoing pandemic, including the continued evolution of consumer shopping behaviors, potential additional stimulus, and other macro-driven factors. As a result, at this point, we do not believe we have sufficient visibility to provide full-year guidance on sales or EPS. We do expect to face ongoing pressure from higher freight costs through the year, as well as some adverse mix impact from our pantry optimization strategy. This will be partially offset by lower shrink and other mix effects, but with the net result that our gross margin rate is likely to be slightly down. We expect SG&A expense dollars for the year to be down, with benefits from lower COVID-related expense, normalization of bonus expense, and structural expense savings, offset by incremental expense from the sale leaseback, higher non-cash equity comp expense, higher new store expense due to increased openings, higher wage levels, and investments in our new forward deployment centers and other strategic investments. The forward deployed center investment for this year will add approximately 10 million to SGNA beginning midsummer. Our SGNA expectations for the full year incorporate around 30 million of incremental structural expense savings across store labor, our supply chain, and general office. By the close of 2021, we will have reduced SGNA by at least 130 million versus the start of 2019. And supported by our ongoing culture of frugality, we expect to drive this figure higher. Capital expenditures for 2021 are expected to be in the range of 180 million to 190 million, with a focus on strategic investments to strengthen and accelerate the business. These investments include the aforementioned lot and queue line store conversions, omnichannel capabilities, space planning technology, and customer analytics capabilities. In addition, we ex expect to open 50 to 60 stores in 2021, of which around 20 will be relocations. As we think about inventory levels throughout 2021, it is important to note that we, we will be up against some very depleted 2020 inventory levels, which we know caused us to miss sales and adversely impact our customers' in-store experience. In, in addition, we expect to flow some receipts earlier to mitigate freight costs. As a result, we expect headline inventory levels to be up significantly over 2020, as especially at the end of Q2 and Q3. However, on a two-year basis, inventory levels will reflect strong turn improvement. For Q1, including in transit, our ending inventory will be up around 15% as we lapped depleted inventories at the end of the first quarter last year, but approximately flat to 2019 against a two-year double-digit sales increase. We expect that inventories will continue to run close to flat on a two-year basis through the balance of the year. We expect interest expense for the year to be approximately flat with lower interest on borrowings offset by notional interest expense related to the sale leaseback gain deferral. Overall, 2021 headline numbers will reflect challenging comparisons to 2020, but we believe will reflect strong underlying performance and excellent growth versus 2019. We have great momentum coming into the year 
and a strong plan guided by Operation North Star. I'll now turn the call back over to our moderator so that we can begin to address your questions. Thank you. We'll now be conducting a question and answer session. If you'd like to be placed in the question queue, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. A confirmation tone will indicate your line is in the question queue. You may press star 2 if you'd like to remove your question from the queue. For participants using speaker equipment, it may be necessary to pick up your handset before pressing star 1. One moment, please, while we poll for questions. Our first question today is coming from Greg Badashkinian from Wolf Research. Your line is now live. Good morning. This is Spencer Hannison for Greg. Uh, can you talk about what gets you comfortable with the low single-digit comp for, for the first quarter? And then how are you guys thinking about the benefit from stimulus during 1Q? Um, and then I guess on a two-year stack basis, it implies comps up roughly low teens. Uh, is that a good way to think about comps for the full year, or a good starting point? Uh, yeah. Hey, Spencer, I'll be happy to take that, and then maybe Bruce will want to add a couple of comments so obviously Q1 is a very complex quarter because there are a lot of moving parts and we're up against some significant variability by week as we went through Q1 last year uh, when February started off fairly soft and then we saw the stock up benefit in March, then had a, a little bit of a dip before we saw the, the first benefit of the stimulus in, in mid-April, which you know, drove, drove comps a lot higher. So we're modeling against that and we're looking at each of those weeks. We're factoring in the impact of the timing of tax refunds, which are coming out later this year, uh, the, 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 the stimulus effect from the December stimulus, which is still having some impact and there's still some dollars to drop on that. We haven't at this point baked in the, um, the next stimulus, which appears likely to pass in, in the near future. I would say what we've seen over time is a little bit of a diminishing return on those stimulus uh, injections. Uh, that the benefit we got from the December stimulus was was less than the, the April stimulus, and we're assuming that will probably go a little you know a little further, uh, partly because people are saving more of the stimulus payments than they were at the beginning of the of, of the pandemic with the first round. So there's a lot of moving parts. We're modeling it out uh, based on all those moving parts, and we're we're obviously close to five weeks into the quarter, uh, so we've seen where, where we've been quarter to date, and that. It gives us some comfort about where we're, we're trending for the for the quarter as a whole. I think a key point is our underlying business is very strong. Uh, it, when, when you sort of bracket out some of those timing and stimulus-driven di you know, differences, we're seeing really strong comps across most of our categories. Not surprisingly, food and consumables is a little light uh, you know, right now, given what we're starting to come up against. But, but, but we feel good about the trend, and we feel that the, the guidance we've given on comps um, makes sense, given everything we're seeing. And, and Spencer, I'll just add to what Jonathan said. Q1 definitely is off to a good start. We think the customer is healthy. She's still valuing value, home, e-commerce, and, and shopping on her terms. I think our Operation North Star initiatives are, are proving very, uh, very well to be what she wants in Q1. And we're entering 2021 with more reward customers than ever before. So we feel good about how we're starting the year. And then, Spencer, just to come back to the last you know, point of your question about two-year comps, uh, yeah, I agree with your math on, on Q1. I wouldn't necessarily take that as, you know, as a kind of hard and fast guide to where we're going to be. Every quarter is different this year. You know, in, you know, in Q1, we are still getting some benefit from, you know, from, from the, the, you know, the December stimulus. Uh, as we get to the latter part of the year, you know, we're assuming there will be you know, little or no stimulus or unemployment benefit 
that we are currently benefiting from. Uh, but there are lots of puts and takes in every quarter, including the fact when we get to Q4, we, you know, we don't, we don't have the, it, we'll, we'll be lapping a seasonal headwind. So I think you have to look at every quarter differently. Uh, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't count on the two-year comp being the same for the balance of the year. That's really helpful. And then uh, on your inventory, how comfortable are you with, with what where inventory levels are today? Um, and are, do you feel a little bit light, or are, are you are you good today? Thanks. Yeah, I think I think we feel you know, pretty good. We we uh, have our on hand has remained in negative territory, and we are you know, working to get that back. Uh, you know, to to something that you know makes us more comfortable, closer to flat, uh, a little bit higher on hand. Uh, you know, the end of Q1. Uh, you, you know, we've had some processing challenges as we talked about getting inventory through our DCs, which is was which has impacted the on-hand levels, but we, we we are on track. We are hopeful that we're going to be back in a good position. Obviously, sales is an important dynamic in that, um, but we we feel good about where we're tracking to at the end of Q1. And then you you talked about 50 to 60 new stores in in 2021. How are, how should we think about where those new stores will be located? Are they going to be in your core markets? Are they going to be in new markets? And, and then how does the store format differ from, from what your existing store looks like today? Yeah, these, Spencer, these are mostly you know, conventional stores, pretty much all, in fact, consistent with our existing store format. Some of about 20 of them are reloads where we are in many cases taking more space, moving from a store where there was limited furniture penetration, for example, to a bigger store where we can have a full furniture assortment. Uh, but other than that, they're generally consistent with our existing boxes. Uh, in terms of you know, the geography, they're, you know, they're pretty diverse in terms of where they are across the country. I wouldn't say there's any particular call out there. But to your point, we are continuing to explore different uh, formats for stores going forward. Uh, our priority this year is to return to healthy store count growth. We, we were slightly positive the last two years, but we want to accelerate. But we do think there are a lot of interesting opportunities going forward. And that's both with our existing format, where there are fill-in opportunities in existing markets where we do well, as well as well as a lot of white space in markets where we aren't penetrated. And then there there is an opportunity for different formats that we're we're spending a lot of time evaluating right now. Great, thank you. Thank you. Our next question today is coming from Joe Feldman from Tag. Your line is now live. Great, thanks, guys. Um, Wanted to ask um, on the e-commerce business, can you share a little more color on, on what's selling? Like, are, are people starting to buy more of the furniture and bulky items? Is that kind of, I guess, sparking the um, those new two forward uh, distribution centers, or are people still buying smaller ticket? Maybe just any complexion you could share on that would be helpful. Yeah, Joe, I'll start this one off. Uh, thanks for the question. And we're really pleased with our growth in e-commerce, as uh, we stated before in our opening remarks. Uh, you know, it's it's grown significantly twice last year's volume in Q4, and Q4 was nearly 5% of sales. And, uh, you know, it wasn't so long ago when we were under $50 million in sales total. That was back in 2018. And now this channel looks like it could grow to a billion uh, in a handful of years. So we're really pleased with that. Uh, the, the type of items that are selling are anything from uh, – Instacart order that will fit in the back of a trunk, uh, to all the way up to a Groyhill sectional sofa that uh, that can be delivered same day through pickup. 
or on a two-day shift from store out of one of our 47 stores. So we're really pleased with that. We are seeing tremendous interest along with this home nesting trend uh, to buy that furniture online. And so that's been a nice uh, nice addition. And we're seeing a, a tremendous amount of new customers through this e-com channel uh, that we didn't have before. So conversion rates continue to grow. In fact, doubled over last year. Uh, very strong traffic, nearly 40% up year over year. Uh, we've made it easy to shop with Instacart pickup, ship from store, and, uh, and direct vendor shipments as well. So uh, seeing a lot of home type of products uh, being uh, being ordered through the econ channel. Got it. That's helpful. Thank you. And then, you know, you mentioned new customers, and that was something else we wanted to ask you about. With um, I think you said with the reward program, you saw 9 million new customers for the year. And I was just wondering, you know, if what you're seeing, are they behaving the same way as your historical customers? Uh, are they different at all, younger? Um, are they buying different things, spending more? And, and maybe if you could tie in the e-commerce new customers you're seeing to that, too, that would be helpful. Thanks. Yeah, the, the, the uh, first off, you know, a lot of our, you know, in some months, uh, half of our, our rewards customer signups come through the e-commerce channel, and and uh, and so that's that's a, that's a nice way to pick up new customers. But you're right, we added nine million uh, rewards customers. Our growth in rewards customers are new to uh, new to our file has been roughly 10% for the last three years, so you know, 21 million in total. Uh, we're retaining these customers at a better rate than prior years, and these retained customers that we're getting are spending more than 25% more in 2020 than they did in 2019. And uh, the satisfaction scores across our network and stores has never been higher from a net promoter score. So we're happy to see that. In terms of age, uh, I can't comment on that right now. We'll, we'll, we'll look into that a little bit more and get back to you. But I do know that there's a lot of the nesting trend going on and that furniture, improving the home space for work, for life, uh, is key, and and we technically see a younger customer in that area, so I'm sure there's some uh, some uh, aging down, which is a good trend to have in that customer growth uh, growth uh, file. But this this growth to 21 million and growing 10% a year is like a customer annuity pipeline for us, and sets us up in a nice way for 21. That's great. No, thanks, guys, and uh, good luck with this uh, this quarter. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. Our next question today is coming from Chandi Luther from Goldman Sachs. Your line is now live. Hey, good morning, guys. Thank you for taking the question. Uh, I'd like to talk about uh, share repurchase a little bit. So you guys repurchased 73 million, sh um, million worth of shares at, at 46 bucks in the quarter. Stock obviously a bit higher than that right now. You know, has been for the last couple of weeks. As you think about buyback going forward, could you perhaps throw some color as to how you think about it? You know, do you think about repurchase more opportunistically, or is it you know based on a forward set plan typically? Thank you. Hey, hey, Chandy. Good morning, and thanks for the question. I'll, I'll be happy to take that one. So, just as a reminder, we had a $500 million share repurchase uh, authorized by the board last August. We've done. We did 173 million of that through the end of Q4. You know, to the point of your question, 
when we authorized that amount, we, yeah, we felt confident that we, we would have, I would call it excess liquidity available to fund that. And you know, clearly since then, uh, we've continued to perform well. So that, that picture hasn't changed. And we certainly think we have the liquidity to continue moving through that $500 million authorization. The specific decision on execution is one we make quarter by quarter. We review with our board and capital uh, allocation planning committee, and, and, uh, and we certainly you know, take into account where the stock is currently trading when we set the grid. Typically, we're doing a 10B51 plan. We're, we're locking in at the beginning of the quarter, and those plans are structured to become more aggressive at lower stock price levels, um, but also to lock in a, a kind of base level of repurchases typically. So uh, again, it's a quarter by quarter determination uh, we certainly don't intend to carry you know, the, the excess liquidity we have on the balance sheet on a you know, long-term basis. So we want to deploy that capital uh, in, in a more productive way, and, and we expect that share repurchases will remain the, the key way that we will do that in, in the near term. And obviously, that takes into account the, the, the assumption that our capital expenditures in the business, which would be our top priority to invest within the business, are going to be fully funded from operating cash flow, which we certainly expect to be the case. Great. And if I could get a quick uh, follow-up on, on gross margins for next year, uh, especially as we think about the promotional environment, you know, that most retailers have talked about as we go uh, beyond the first quarter. How do you think about the promotional backdrop, you know, vis-a-vis -vis freight charges? And, and how do you think that sort of, you know, flows through the balance of 2021? Yeah, no, it's a good question, Johnny. We we expect that our promotional activity will uh, will be lower than 2019. We had a good lower promotional activity through 2020. With regard to to uh, a freight impact, we're doing things to mitigate that. We're in negotiations. We've got a great ecosystem of uh, vendors and freight carriers that we're working with, smoothing out volumes to lower those rates. And, uh, and then get the capacity. But overall, you know, just tremendous, uh, tremendous good work with less markdowns in 2020. We expected that in 2020. You cut out a little bit, Bruce. Um, Go ahead, Jonathan. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Chani, I, I would just add that I, I think, you know, and sort of echoes really what Bruce said that we, you know, we've got much more effective deploying promotions, I think, during 2020. So we used to do you know, a lot of those big whole house friends and family events, which were a fairly blunt instrument. And as our awards database has grown and we have more data and we've learned more about what promos work, I think our ability to be much more targeted with our promotions has significantly improved. And then you look at a month like January this year, where we were significantly less promotional um, and we still delivered a great comp. Uh, and we feel good about that. We made made a lot more money in January than you know we have done in, in past years. Great, thank you so much. Thank you. Our next question today is coming from Peter Keith from Piper Sandler. Your line is now live. Hi, uh, thanks. Good morning, everyone. I uh, hope you're doing well. Uh, maybe just to follow on that last question regarding gross margin, uh, there's certainly a lot of investor concern around freight headwinds and ocean freight. And um, I was hoping you could provide maybe the the shape of that headwind to your to your full year. Is that something that you think will run smoothly or equivalent across all quarters? Or is it front end loaded, back end loaded? 
and, and maybe even any you know, full year quantification of the impact would be helpful. Yeah, I'll be able to, morning, Peter, I'll be able to kick off on that. Um, yeah, I mean, we definitely think it's going to be a full year headwind. There's no reason at this point to think that, that you know, it's going to, you know, kind of abate in 2021. It'll probably be in 22 before we start to see year over year relief on that based on everything we're seeing and hearing and, you know, talking to our, our partners. Um, I would say in terms of the cadence through the year, probably relatively even at this point based on what we're seeing. Um, and, and, you know, we haven't really quantified it and, and it, it's continuing to evolve, obviously, but it is, it, it, you know, it is a meaningful headwind throughout 2021. Okay. And but I guess I think in the, the compared remarks, Jonathan, factoring that in, you would still expect gross margin just to be down slightly. It, it, exactly. Yeah, we think we'll make up some ground in, in other areas um, that will, you know, put, put us in that range. Okay, great. Um, uh, moving on to a different topic, you, you did mention this um, uh, new capability with data-driven space planning uh, capabilities, and I was hoping you could unpack that for us a little bit, uh, maybe give us a sense of the, the timing of when that's starting to roll out, and, and even, you know, qualitatively, what, what, what might we see at the store in terms of, of changes as this uh, technology gets implemented? I'll take that one, uh, Jonathan. Good question, Peter. Space planning is something that uh, under new leadership, Jack Pestel and merchandising is something that we've already started working on. It's uh, it's our first tool into better utilizing our space in our store. So it's basically being able to planogram down to the store level and customize to every store because not all stores are equal, uh, the space so that we can get better allocation, we can get better planning, better sell-through, and uh, getting in and out of sets better. Uh, we can also increase our ability to customize assortments to a store uh, localization. And because of that, we believe we're going to get uh, improved sales per square foot and margin dollars per square foot in our stores. And so this this has already started. We've, this progress uh, has been uh, has been started. And uh, by mid-year, we should start seeing some some rollout of this and then extend it to our entire fleet. So it's going to take some time, but we'll see benefit uh, starting in, in, in back half 21 and then going into 22. Terrific. Uh, sounds good. Thanks so much. Thank you. Our next question today is coming from Anthony Jacumba from Loop Capital Market. Your line is now live. Uh, good morning and congratulations on a really strong uh, year. Um, just wanted to, um, I had two questions. I guess the first one's on um, on uh, lease to own and uh, what you saw there in the fourth quarter and, and uh, how much of a contributor that was to your um, to your strong uh, furniture sales. Uh, yeah, I'll be happy to kick off on that. Hey, hey Anthony, good, good morning um, and thanks for the uh, congratulations. Um, yeah, uh, you, you know, what we've seen all, all year is that uh, our leasing business has been down. Um, you know, customers have had more, you know, cash available to purchase, you know, furniture. So, you know, year over year, uh, the approval rates have been pretty consistent, but the the, the, you know, the the leasing demand has been lower just because we've seen a tandem shift to to other types of purchases. 
Got it. And then um, I just want a little bit of clarification. Uh, okay, so you said you're going to open 50 to 60 new stores, um, you know, but 20 of those are going to be relocation. So in terms of, um, you know, just sort of completely new stores, and you're talking uh, 30 to 40. And I guess I, I was just wondering, what do you anticipate in terms of just, you know, sort of um, store closings? Yeah, that, that's a key part of the equation here, Anthony. We're trying to get the closings down. So yeah, we're anticipating something in the region of 15, you know, outright closings for the year to you know, to drive a you know meaningful net store count increase, um, and that's partly coming from you know what we refer to as our store performance intervention program, where we've spent a lot of time looking at underperforming stores, particularly those coming up for lease renewal, and really worked hard to improve their performance so we don't need to close them, and then also we had some you know some good productive negotiations with landlords in 2020 uh, that have helped with, you know, from an occupancy standpoint to make make it viable to keep more, more stores open. So it's a constant, uh, you know, process. I guess the other key point, again, just to reiterate, is beyond 21, uh, you know, we do expect to continue to accelerate the openings, and, you know, we're hopeful that we can keep the closures that are, the outright closures at a pretty low level so we can continue to grow that, you know, net store count impact to, uh, to our overall sales growth. Got it. Uh, thank you so much. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question today is coming from Jason Haas from Bank of America. Your line is now live. Great. Good morning, and thanks for taking my questions. Um, can you talk about what you're seeing with regards to closeout availability? We've heard some um, commentary from others that uh, there may be some challenges just given how strong sales have been in the inventory shortages. So curious to know what you're seeing there. Um, and then also related to that, um, can you provide some more color on just what you're doing with regards to that department? Are you adding any sort of um, new merchants or any other sort of capabilities there? Thanks. Yeah, Jason, good morning. Thanks for the question. You know, I'll tell you what, we're really pleased with our focus on closeout and getting back to our roots, our DNA uh, being the, uh, the deal place. But, you know, I'll tell you, we grew 50% in terms of closeouts in Q4 across all categories. Uh, you know, we continue to grow in these areas. Uh, we were trying to find the intersection where quality and price intersect and availability, and we haven't reached that yet, so it's a good news. Uh, we still think there's good, strong availability. It's a bit tougher in food and consumables, and, and that's where we've uh, lagged a bit because of the uh, pandemic. Things are tighter there. Uh, but across all other categories, we're getting back into these things, so it's all growth and it's all north, if you will, on that. Uh, we're a deal store. Closeouts, like I said, are as a DNA. We're starting to see great penetration in, uh, in areas like apparel, where we mentioned in the opening remarks, having brands like Reebok, Nautica, and Taylor, Scott's Brothers, and, uh, and Soft Home, and, uh, and Hard Home uh, deals as well. So we're excited about our growth in these areas, and we know our customers are as well. And the vendors that uh, are supplying these closeouts are, are happy to see us back in the business uh, year over year, our closeout growth grew over 20, uh, grew nearly 40%. Uh, so we see this as loads of opportunity as our team continues to reach out to our vendor base and grow. So food and consumables lagging a bit. Everywhere else, it's uh, it's green and growing. That's great, thank you. And then as a follow-up question, how are you thinking about the assortment as the country begins to reopen, vaccinations uh, start to go out? Um, just what are you expecting in terms of how customer uh, spending habits might shift, um, and any color on uh, what you're doing to retain a lot of the new customers that you've gained over the past year. Thanks. 
Yeah, and a great follow-up question. You know, our customer is all about value, home, and uh, and, and shopping on her terms. So e-commerce, being an omnichannel retailer, and, and all the work we've done there is really playing out, as well as our assortment fits that that need very well. And all the Operation North Star strategic work we've done is, is doing nicely. So we can see, we, we see even post-COVID, the home nesting trend to continue. We think we're well positioned with our with our growth in Broyhill and other brands in the home. Uh, home office is going to continue to be uh, a, a winner uh, in an area for, for penetrating into that. We do believe that, you know, she'll want to travel a bit more. So we're looking into all things that, that help travel, luggage and things like that. Um, our convenience, you know, e-commerce, we're going to continue to get better and better at that, making it safe, easy, convenient. That's going to be a trend that's going to continue. And we're going to add a lot more personalization and uh, and services this year that remove friction uh, through that channel, making it easy to, to to shop, seeing best sellers, more more types of payments and personalization uh, to really reach her. Value is going to continue to be huge. Uh, it never goes out of style, and uh, and so we'll continue to to grow our closeout deals, our engineered big buys, name brands like in our pantry optimization initiative that are competitively priced, but deals, deals, deals. So I think we're well positioned uh, for post-COVID-19, and I think the customer's healthy, and those trends on value home and e-commerce are, are going are to stay and be strong. Great. Thank you. You got it. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, in the interest of time, our final question today is coming from Brad Thomas from KeyBank Capital Markets. Your line is now live. Hi, good morning. Thanks for taking the question, and uh, congrats on a great year. Um, I wanted to ask two questions about um, how to think about 2020 at a high level, knowing you haven't given full year guidance. The first one on sales, uh, it seems to me you have a, a ton of opportunity still to grow on what you did last year with elements like expanding a lot, um, things you're doing with merchandising, and quarters where the inventory was lighter where you wanted it. Um, is there any ability to maybe quantify uh, uh, what that opportunity is just from, you know, the, the blocking and tackling and the initiatives being a bit better here this year? Yeah, I'll be happy to take a you know, pass at answering that, Brad. I, you know, again, there are a lot of moving parts as we think about our comps. There were quarter by quarter, many moving parts in 2020, and as we look to 2021, that will remain the case. I think a key point, though, is when we came into 2020, we said we expected our comps to accelerate through the year, that in Q3, Q4, we would be posting pretty nice comps reflecting the benefit of all of the initiatives, Pantry Off, Q, Lot, Broyhill, Ecom Growth. And that's really what we believe happened. You know, It's masked a little bit by the, the stimulus and the nesting trend, but underneath that, you know, our data says that we really did get the benefits and more that we expected from those initiatives, and we expect to continue that in, in, into 2021. And then on top of that, you've got you know, the, the, the kind of one-time effect of, of stimulus and, and you know, probably nesting will be a one-time effect eventually when things return to a level of no, normalcy. But we, the important point for us is we believe our underlying strategies are working and that when you know, we kind of get back to normalcy, they, they will continue to, to move, move us forward. That, that's helpful. Um, and, and then regarding SGNA, Jonathan, can you give us any more help of how to think about modeling SGNA for the year? I think you mentioned a 30 million savings with a desire to get that higher. 
uh, for 2021 versus 2020. Um, how should we think about where it might be if sales come on the stronger, stronger end of the spectrum versus if, uh, you know, these prove to be tougher comps and you have a little bit more trouble uh, against the really tough comparisons you're up against? Yeah, I think, you know, I'm probably starting to sound a bit like a broken record with this comment, but it's it's very complicated again in terms of expenses because of all the puts and takes year, year over year. I think I think what we learned in 2020 very clearly was that um, the, the, the expense flex as we delivered higher sales was very modest. So we got tremendous leverage from, you know, from delivering higher sales. Um, and again, over time, our objective is to grow our productivity significantly and Harvest that that, you know, that that leverage benefit. If you look at some of the other puts and takes in 2021, you've got the you know, we had significant COVID expenses in 2020, you know, a substantial portion of which we don't expect to lap, but we will continue to have some of those. You know, we had full stretch bonus payments pretty much in 2020, and that will normalize in 21. Um, and then it, and then we've got the benefit of the structural savings you just talked about. Against that, we've got the full-year impact of the sale leaseback expense. Uh, we've also got strategic investments we're making, including with our new stores, uh, with the forward distribution centers we talked about. And then there is a little bit of wage pressure we alluded to, um, and then you know, various other puts and takes, including equity comp. So that's a fairly long-winded answer to say that there, there are a lot of moving parts. Our guidance for the year is that SG&A will be down in, in dollar terms, um, you, you know, to the extent that sales are coming in higher than we are assuming in our internal plan, we wouldn't expect to be adding a lot of SG&A dollars. There are some investments we might choose to make at that point. Um, on the contrary, if, if sales come below our, our plan, you know, we certainly have the ability to take expense out, but uh, we, we do have a lot of fixed expense in there, uh, which you know, also on the downside limits our, our opportunities somewhat there. But, but again, we remain highly focused on trying to take structural cost out. We, we have savings opportunities which we uh, believe are there beyond what we have baked into our internal plan and into that guidance, and we'll, we'll be working very hard to harvest those in 2021. That's all really helpful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brett. Thank you. We reached end of our question and answer session. And ladies and gentlemen, that does conclude today's teleconference and webcast. A replay of this call will be available to you by 12 noon Eastern time this afternoon, December 4th. I'm sorry, excuse me, March 5th. The replay will end at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time. You can access the replay by dialing toll-free 877-660-6853 and enter replay confirmation 13715962, followed by the pound sign. Toll, toll number 1201-612-7415 and enter replay confirmation 13715962, followed by the pound sign. This does conclude today's teleconference. You may now disconnect and have a great day. We thank you for your participation today.